Good afternoon, good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Basil Valentine on the Sunday, well, Sunday, the 12th of July, 2015. I hope you enjoyed Shirley Bassey there, and the theme from one of my favourite Bond films, Diamond Are Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, a story that really has got the lot, you know. It's got uh, good glamour, Sean Connery, um, great uh, locations in and around Las Vegas, and uh, of course hidden within. Uh, Diamonds Are Forever is uh, possibly the story of what happened to Howard Hughes. I mentioned this last week and uh, joining me on the line to discuss it today is Jay Dyer who has a mass of information about it. Um, but perhaps uh, uniquely uh, amongst the Bond films uh, although uh, having said that there's other stuff in films like Dr. No uh, where Dr. No himself is supposedly represents the represents the zeta the gray aliens but we'll that's another <laughs> we won't go down that path we'll stick on diamonds for now uh, is the story of howard hughes and his kidnapped by by aristotle anastas so for willard white in uh, in diamonds ww the big vegas hotel mogul read howard hughes hh um and uh for blofeld of course read onassis um jay you're familiar with this, I know. Yes, uh, I was intrigued to hear your comment on Sunday Wire last Sunday, and it got me thinking. I'd written a piece uh, some months ago about Martin Scorsese's film, <coughs> The Aviator, which, which right. sort of, in a coded way, I think references some of this as well. Oh, well. Uh, uh, certainly, you're correct that Diamonds Are Forever is much more... Uh, extensive in its coded messages, if you will. Yeah. The first thing I think to point out is that you're 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 correct with Onassis, insofar as it was Aristotle Onassis who approached Ian Fleming uh, for the original idea to make Doctor No into a film, and so this actually is mentioned right. in Andrew Lysett's uh, well-known biography of Ian Fleming. On page 336 and 337, there's the mention of uh, the meeting between uh, Onassis and Fleming to conceive of a film version of either Casino Royale or Dr. No. So that's the right. immediate connection we have. Then, of course, I, I would propose as well, I don't know what you think about this, but Aristotle's uh, sometime friend, sometime enemy, Stavros Niarchos. Niarchos, yes, his arch rival. I wonder, but uh, they were also sort of friendly as well, as, a, mm. as far as he was. I think they brother. were married to sisters, weren't they? I think they exactly. were. Could it be that uh, the Stavro, Ernst Stavro Blofeld, has some. <laughs> oh, yes. Composite. Do we, are we looking at a composite character here with, yeah. with Blofeld? Uh, Niarchos also. 
appears to have been associated with Bilderberg. There's some uh, reports to that effect. He also, his foundation worked very closely with the Rockefellers. Right. Looking at uh, $150 million donation from the Niarcos Foundation uh, back in 2014 uh, in uh, working with uh, David Rockefeller for uh, university extensions. So there's uh, definitely a connection there. But uh, I think you you pointed out really the, the central focus of how this empire came to be with diamonds and diamond smuggling. And so from what I've read, there's a, there was a clear connection between possibly the Onassis shipping empire uh, as a tool for the drug smuggling because of right. course if you're needing to ship drugs, uh, yeah. you need a, a corridor of some sorts to get it globally distributed. So that's, of course, how the uh, Onassis Empire came to power, I would say, money-wise. And uh, didn't Onassis do a deal with um, with Joe Kennedy, with, uh, you know, with the brother, <coughs> with uh, Joseph Kennedy, you know, Jack's father? Right, right, as I understand. In the 1930s. Right. Now, Diamonds of Forever is written uh, not just, uh, well, Fleming actually met with, Stilto, the former head of MI5, who was at that time working for De Beers. So when we we have a, a clear, uh, intentional, I think, uh, uh, expose of what's going on, when we read that in comparison with um, Fleming's actual book on one of his only uh, historical works, uh, The Diamond Smugglers, written in 1957. So uh, right. This book is coming from, you know, reports of MI5 on the whole uh, diamond trade, as well as uh, Fleming meeting with uh, L.A. Police and uh, Intelligence Headquarters uh, in, in terms of mafia organizations. And so that's why at the beginning of the novel, Bond goes to Sierra Leone, uh, because this is, of course, a classic uh, uh, locale for... Uh, uh, diamond uh, mining and smuggling. So, so here we have, uh, of course, the the interplay of the, the drug and um, uh, precious metals market. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think we're on the right track here with, with what you said in terms of the film. Um, there's no question uh, in my mind either that that uh, Willard White is clearly Howard Hughes, particularly in the scene where. Bond is dis- uh, discussing with Tiffany Case, his uh, femme fatale in that in that film, the mysterious Texas or Texan uh, billionaire, I, I guess, or, or hundred millionaire, I guess, in those times, mm-hmm. uh, who will not emerge from his penthouse. <laughs> he's been. This is the actual line in the film. He's been locked up in his penthouse for two years and refuses to emerge. I think that's a, a good key to uh, figuring out that that's definitely Howard Hughes, who was known for his uh, rabid uh, uh, ADHD, or not, not ADHD, what's the, uh, uh, the obsession with uh, cleanliness and, and so right. forth. Right. Right. At the moment. OCD, exactly. Uh, so I, th- I think uh, d- definitely we're dealing with uh, 
Howard Hughes in terms of Willard White. There's no question there. Now, Jason, can you on, on that subject? Can you uh, queue up the uh, the other clip because we've got a deleted scene here, which uh, adds fuel to uh, to uh, further, you know further validates what uh, what you're saying there, Jay. Um, so if you can cue that up, this scene uh, didn't appear in the release version of the film. Bit of a shame because it's uh, the late great one and only Mr. Sammy Davis Jr. playing himself as an entertainer um, and obviously being employed in the casino by uh, by the white character and he's dealing with his number he's dealing with uh, Willard White's number two in real life Howard Hughes's number two was a guy called Robert Mayhew right. um, who was a, a, a very interesting figure um, perhaps more of him later but if you can play the clip Jason that would be great and we this is uh, Sammy Davis talking about his uh, sorting out his contract to sing at Mr. White's hotel in Vegas okay come on ladies let's bet it up get some money and be somebody thousand dollars on the black alright come on let's go put it down baby there you go over here and give me a thousand on the black there you go hiya sweetheart Hey, Bert, how are you, baby? Good. Say, I had a call from Mr. White, said you hadn't signed your contract yet. What's the matter? You got a problem? No, not too big a problem. Just some money, that's all. Now, you know what amazes me? That a man that's a multi-billionaire living up in that fortress can't come to terms. Now, look, you're the man that I work for, really. Do me a favor, go up and talk to him for me, will you? You've got to be kidding. I run this place for him, and even I haven't seen him for three years, I... Will you take a look at that? Well, I haven't seen it for three years. Now, in the case, in the case of Howard Hughes, of course, his personal assistant for the last thirty years of his life, Robert Mayhew, never met him. He only ever dealt with him by telephone, which seems almost incredible, you know. So, of course, actually, in the film, it isn't Howard Hughes upstairs in the hotel at all. It's it's Blofeld. Uh, Hughes having been kidnapped so uh, the the gemstone farm maintains of course that um, that is indeed what happened to Howard Hughes he was kidnapped from his bungalow in the Beverly Hills Hotel in 1955 was injured in suffered a brain injury in the scuffle and was then kept in a heavily sedated state by Onassis on his island Scorpios Yes. Uh, which is uh, the Scorpius is also referenced in uh, Thunderball I think it is it's the name of uh, it's the name of the villain's boat is Scorpius right. you know so you get yeah. these now whether or not that actually happened uh, I, you know I don't think anybody will ever know really Hughes certainly had doubles that much we know of in the 50s, of course, you, all you needed was a signature to control somebody's business empire. It wasn't the, <clears throat> it wasn't the same. Hughes didn't have the same sort of corporate structure of, <coughs> you know, different board members. And, you, you know, it was just, it was him. You know, he ran the company. It was as simple as that. When he, owned, when he bought RKO Pictures, uh, he bought the studio in the 40s or something. He never actually went there. <laughs> he controlled it. And... Uh, of course, there's a there's a film, another film which sort of uh, obliquely play, uh, portrays him called Court, 
starring the uh, late great Robert Ryan, playing a figure called Smith O'Rig, O H L R I G, which is obviously very close to Oil Rig, and uh, the uh, the character played by Ryan in court is sort of loosely based on Hughes. The film was actually made at RKO, and um, I don't think Hughes was terribly impressed, and uh, it, it might, to some extent, have stymied Robert Ryan's career, the fact that he took that role. But uh, I digress. Um, yeah, Hughes bought RKO, and he never even went there, you know. I mean, he bought a major studio, and he never went. So... As Robert Mayhew never met him, and he was supposed to be his assistant for 30 years. So, was Hughes actually on uh, Scorpios? You know, your guess is as good as mine, Jay. What do you think? Well, that uh, I think that there's a, obviously a, the CIA connection with Mayhew coming out of the uh, big advertising world, the Robert Mullen and Company, the J. Walter Thompson Company. Yeah. And so that's definitely lurking in the background with, uh, with Hughes. And I think that probably played into the kidnapping or disappearance. But one question I had for you um, is, I don't know if you've ever read the novel by John Fowles called The Magus. I haven't, I haven't actually read it, Jay. No, I don't tend to read novels. I don't have time. I've got... Uh... I've got my hands full reading non-fiction, as you can imagine. Yes. Well, this one is unique because the Magus uh, involves a, uh, a British, a young British lad who uh, believes himself to be freely choosing to escape to a Greek island that is in the, the narrative called Praxos, which is made up. But uh, as he spends his, his time uh, in dalliances on the island, he comes to find out that he was actually brought there by a Greek billionaire right? in uh, a sort of uh, covert kidnapping. He was, he was engineered to bring him there. Uh, and what he discovers is that the Greek billionaire was actually a Nazi collaborator during the time of World War II and that uh, now the billionaire essentially spends his time uh, organizing large-scale psychological operations. So the Magus is uh, relevant in that it, it could possibly have um, references to these kinds of events as well. I, I find it to be a, just a curious parallel. I don't have any solid information yeah. you know, as to whether this connects with the Hughes, but uh, definitely a similar scenario. So uh, when it comes to what you just mentioned, I think um, I think, uh, like you said, we'll never know because uh, the gemstone situation is is highly speculative. But it, there was such a, a close uh, uh, interplay between Howard Hughes and uh, the uh, the Mormon establishment and the CIA. Um, right. We consider uh, Project Azorion, which was uh, an attempt uh, by the CIA to contract Hughes to construct a massive vessel that would help to uh, take a Soviet submarine. So there was all sorts wow. of background. Uh, Rather like in the Spectre films, in the Bond films, where they have, you know, craft that swallow other craft, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. So. Uh, the, the fiction and reality are quite thinly veiled here, the bridge between the two. 
Yes, I mean, the whole spectre thing, of course, when you watch these films as a child, it seems like a joke that there's this sort of uh, third force, a sort of international criminal conspiracy, you know. Um, but, of course, you know, later in life, one begins to think, well, actually, you know, apart from simply Blofeld, the whole sort of idea of the organisation of spectre um, may actually have more to it than meets the eye. I mean... Uh, Fleming was uh, very highly placed in British intelligence. He was, uh, he, he, you know, he was he was no mug. He, he, he wasn't making up fairy stories. Do you know what I mean? Oh yes, uh, high level uh, naval psyops. So when you look at, um, I believe it's Craig uh, Craig Cobble has a recent book on Fleming's exploit uh, exploits. And uh, there's quite a few uh, secret operations that Fleming was involved with uh, from the time of World War II on. So, uh, you know, we're all familiar with uh, the uh, Enigma machine situation, probably. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Turing. But uh, there were quite a few more um, secret operations that uh, Fleming masterminded or was intimately involved in some of which uh, were successful, others of which uh, failed to take effect. But, uh, no, you're absolutely right. He was doing all sorts of um, all sorts of uh, black operations. And do you think he was bumped off in the end? I don't know. That's a good question, though. That's a, that's a new one to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, that's quite widely, uh, quite widely considered. He was due to go to an... He was, he, of course, he lived in this house, Goldeneye, in Jamaica, um, and uh, he was due to go and see somebody about something really quite murky. I think it was to do with ETs or something, and he never made it to the meeting up in New Jersey. Um, he, uh, I, I think he technically died of a heart attack, but he was aware of, uh, of uh, all sorts of <coughs> you know, secret weaponry being used by the security services, including a, a heart attack gun that they're supposed to have had from about the 1950s, you know. Right, right. Well, Goldeneye sort of hints at, um, or excuse me, the man with the golden gun hints at uh, sort of directed energy weapons, particularly in the film. Yes, yes. So, uh, that, uh, there's no telling, uh, you know, with which of the uh, topics that he concealed in fiction, I would imagine quite a few of them were... <laughs> <laughs> relatively dangerous. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, do you do you have any speculation as to which subject uh, might have been the dangerous one? That, uh, I, I I think it was ETs. Believe it or not, I think really? it was it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that's not something we usually get onto on this program, but um, and I've read in a book, uh, quite a rare book now. I recommend it to uh, to readers called Hollywood versus the Aliens by a guy called Bruce Rux. It's an extraordinary book, meticulously researched, um, which talks about how in the 1950s and 60s, and on into the 70s in particular, Hollywood was used by the CIA to disseminate information about extraterrestrials. You know, oh, sure. there, there was that whole flap of movies, you know. Um, right. You know, the day the Earth stood still. I mean, dozens of, uh, of UFO movies in the 1950s when... You know, after Kenneth Arnold's sighting in 1947, and then this whole, you know, the whole UFO flap basically took off. Do you know what I mean? Yes. In the 50s, and uh, they wanted to implant certain information in the, 
you know, uh, am amongst the general public, and um, and movies were a very good way of doing so. Absolutely. Uh, I, as I said to, earlier, the figure of Doctor No is supposed to be uh, sort of loosely based on the Zeta. You know that here's this guy's come from another planet in the film. He's played beautifully played by Joseph Wiseman, but he's this sort of he is this rather sort of otherworldly white suited individual with a completely mad plan. He's different from Doctor No. Is different from uh, Blofeld and the and the subsequent criminal masterminds. Do you see what I mean? Well, there are references in the novel to him having a sort of um, uh, bizarre uh, blending of uh, Asian and I think Germanic. I think was his uh, right pedigree in the novel. And, yeah, you know, the, the ultimate story ends up being that he's uh, working with the Soviets. So I've always right. taken it to be um, an anti uh, Cold War, anti-Soviet. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. But uh, this is an interesting thesis to me. I've not heard this idea. Oh, it's, so, in, it's in Bruce Rux's book. I says, I'm not making it up. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, not, where, where you, no, I'm not saying you're today. I am. I'm not sure where he got it from. I don't have a copy in front of me, unfortunately. Now, do, do you take this to mean that Fleming was considering this as a real possibility or that he was ex possibly going to expose something in relation to the alien situation being sort of a, a mass psyop in the sense of uh, uh, Orson Welles's, uh, you know, ra radio broadcast uh, being a, a Rockefeller-funded study on social engineering. Yes, it seems to be basically hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's also, of course, the, the whole question in Gemstone of the uh, synthesis of rubies and their use in laser research by Hughes and by Bruce Roberts, of course, the guy who, who most closely associated with with uh, the Gemstone letter. Um, do you have anything uh, you can add to that? The whole sort of because that's that's in diamonds. The way that the, well, yeah, the rubies yeah. are used for, to create this laser, aren't they? You know. That's what I was going to ask you was what your thought on that was. Cause I, I did the review of the film before uh, this this uh, discussion. And that's, of course, what happens in the plot, is that the diamonds are not... It's not ultimately about uh, making profit for smuggling. It's about... It's uh, about using them for uh, direct for laser, yeah. Exactly. It's sort of advanced uh, weaponry. To, uh, yeah. So I would guess that... Uh, I, I did see some speculation, some articles that uh, considered this um, as part of uh, the plot to sort of move in on... Uh, um, Howard Hughes's uh, uh, psy tech uh, operations mm. uh, on the part of uh, sort of maybe rival mafia interests, um, but I don't know. That's uh, that's probably where my knowledge of this topic would uh, would come short. So what, what do you what do you make of it? Well, <clears throat> I think DARPA might be able to tell us. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they won't, but uh, they could. But they could. Yes, exactly. Um, the other thing that in uh, the film, of course, is uh, almost as a, by way of a, a, a sideshow. It's a sort of did I, did I, yeah, exactly. You've got it. Yes, exactly. It's the it's the fake moon landings because, uh, of course, Bond at one point just busts through this <laughs> film set where they're where they're faking the moon landings. Diamonds was released in 1971. Right. It was filmed in 1970. 
and uh, we supposedly landed on the moon for the first time in 1969. So it was extremely contemporaneous. Uh, and you have to ask yourself why on earth did it's com- it was completely unnecessary and has nothing to the plot as well. So you have to think to yourself, why on earth did that, is that scene in the film? You know. Absolutely. And it's also, there's quite a few things added in the film, not in the novel, um, such as Willard White. Um, and the um, the moon situation. So in that scene, Bond goes uh, covertly sneaks into uh, Howard Hughes's facilities or Willard White's facilities. Uh, goes uh, underground. There's an underground base where this uh, diamond uh, satellite uh, high tech weaponry is being developed. And uh, while down there, he needs to sneak out. And on his way sneaking out, he stumbles into this. Uh, set <laughs> where the film gives the impression that this is that Hughes is perhaps uh, or, or uh, Willard White is perhaps involved, perhaps involved in developing uh, perhaps uh, some sort of uh, space buggy or, or, or some, that he might be involved in developing the technology for the Apollo mission uh, but it doesn't make sense because the astronauts are sort of faking and they're, they're the, it's a sound studio <laughs> Right, right. Downstage, and the astronauts are faking like they're you know bouncing in slow motion and low gravity or whatever, and uh, you know Bond just sort of runs in between them and hops in the moon buggy and yeah, you know, crashes out of the facility. So, uh, really, no clear explanation as to why that would be in the film. Uh, no, that's right. So absolutely, clearly, intentionally added there. Yeah, uh, and this is one of the many Hollywood uh, references to the possibility of, of staging in this regard. Um, something like uh, Capricorn One, I believe, it was a TV movie from the seventies. That's right. Uh, also has this same theme, but of course puts Mars in as the substitute for the Moon. Yeah, yeah. Gemstone, of course, also portrays Onassis as the main force behind the election of John F. Kennedy as president, right. and subsequently his assassination. I thought that was a, a, a fascinating point that you made. I had never made this connection, which was just, I guess, an oversight on my part in terms of... Now, I'd heard of Gemstone File, but you made the point about the mafia situation where, you know, taking over your uh, rival Don's uh, uh, womanly possession, I guess. What uh, Could you give some more information on that? Well, just to be that, you know, supposedly in Mafia tradition, if you kill a man, you marry his wife and you take his gun, you know. Now, what, obviously, you know, we know that Anastas did indeed marry Jackie Kennedy, but we don't know what influence he ended up having over the... uh, over the uh, over the Pentagon, <laughs> which was effectively John's gun, if you see what I mean. Um, according to the documents, Oswald obviously was, as we know, was a patsy, um, and was linked to the CIA, the Mafia connections in Lafayette Square, New Orleans, with Jimmy Fratiano, John Rosselli, and Eugene Brading as the real shooters. The Gemstone Papers claim that John Kennedy, Robert, and Joe Kennedy were involved with the math- Mafia and Onassis. And when the Kennedy brothers attempted to break away, they were murdered. We know what happened to, between Jackie and Onassis after the death of Kay, after the death of JFK, of course. So uh, it's the only gemstone that gives any credence to this idea of Onassis being behind his situation, um, behind uh, Kennedy's assassination. 
I mean, all the other nowhere else does it appear in any of the other major research, which either points fingers, you know, at the anti-Castro Cubans at the CIA, various other groups, the Joint Chiefs, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Actually, yes, the 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 Birchers, the Clint Murchison lot. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of different candidates. Meyer Lansky, you know. in, in, in Kennedy's assassination of what was actually a very large conspiracy, but Onassis's name is never mentioned in the traditional literature, you know. But right. uh, as I said, the big, in a funny kind of way, the big clue is he married his wife. So that's <laughs> sort of like, you know, I, you know. Now, I, as I understand too, there's speculation, and that if you're going to be the Donna Dons and you really are going to be the Capo di Capo behind exactly. everything. Right. You're not going to be known. Of course you're not. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Of course your name's not going to appear in all the regular literature. Do you know what I mean? Now, is it true, do you think, the speculation of um, Onassis uh, or some of these other uh, Greek uh, magnates, mafia magnates, uh, having relationships with uh, Peron in Argentina, which we know is uh, a likely Nazi fleeing ground where many Nazis uh, left, uh, and went to uh, Brazil and Argentina, and as I understand, there was there's speculation of Onassis having uh, relationships with uh, the government there, the sort of proto-fascist uh, Peron, or I guess actually fascist type governments there. Um, do you think there's any any substance to that? Uh, could well be, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Onassis. I think I'm right in saying he made one of his first fortunes um, in selling tobacco in Argentina. He lived in Argentina for a while before the war as a young man um, and uh, and was involved in the tobacco trade. <coughs> I just want to go back to... <coughs> sorry, I just want to go back to Fleming uh, and his death. Fleming died at 56, which is no great age, obviously. Uh, of a, inverted commas, heart attack. And according to Bruce Roberts, the author of the gemstone file, the sodium morphine used by Onassis and the mafia made the victim appear to have died from a massive heart attack. It was, in fact, a dose of sodium morphine. Fleming had been planning to fly from Jamaica to New, to New Jersey to meet with Ivan T. Sanderson, that's the name I was looking for, a biologist and former British intelligence agent. As a zoologist, Sanderson had written a number of books, including one on the Bigfoot and Yeti, and appeared frequently on radio shows and even Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. The late Ivor T. Sanderson was a Fortean researcher and author on topics including the Philadelphia Experiment, which, of course, brings in our our friends, uh, the Greys, who supplied the Zeta ETs, who supposedly supplied the technology for that. Another weird incident that was portrayed in a in a not terribly good film in the 1970s a subject about which sanderson and fleming had been corresponding so it may have been that you know somebody got to fleming because they were afraid he was going to start putting more stuff in his books i mean he had a big platform do you know what i mean absolutely uh, yeah. They just started making the films in '64. They'd already done um, Doctor No and uh, From Russia with Love, so uh, you could, they were both huge hits. You know, Goldfinger was in production. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and, I uh, and you could see that this was going to be a hugely successful film franchise, lasting many years. And then suddenly, bang! 
just a few couple of years after making the first film, three years after filming, two years after release, the author's dead. You know. Well, and uh, think as well of situations like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where Blofeld is going to use biological weapons through uh, food and atmospheric poisoning. Right. In the uh, film version, uh, Telly Savalas has a line as Blofeld where he specifically says he's going to attack the populace through vaccinations. So all the way back... Right, he actually says attack the populace through vaccinations, doesn't he? Literally says that in the script, correct. Wow. Uh, wow. So you know, every one of the, uh, the, the the novels and the films, you know, in some way exposes yeah. some yeah. real aspect or angle of, uh, of, on the... Uh, the yeah, yeah. yeah, that is interesting. On a, on a lighter note, who's your favorite Blofeld, Jay? Uh, favorite actor to portray uh, unquestionably uh, Donald Pleasance right you only live twice yeah I think uh, I think I have to agree with you in the final analysis though I think Charles Gray does a very good job in uh, in uh, Diamonds I must admit yeah it was it is good Um, the uh, facial reconstruction aspect of it is interesting which also comes up in uh, one of the later uh, non-Fleming um, productions with uh, whichever the one is with uh, Halle Berry and uh, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, right, yes. The uh, facial reconstruction body double scenario, which uh, is quite real in, in the covert world, but I think uh, pretty, uh, probably unknown to the, to the majority of the uh, populace. Um, yeah. But as you pointed out, Howard Hughes having body doubles and so forth, uh, interesting tidbit there yeah I mean it was quite common um, for people to have body doubles I mean I think a lot of wealthy people have body doubles uh, for various reasons you know um, obviously Hitler had a number of doubles and that's you know supposedly was one of the doubles that was found in the bunker in Berlin you know yeah. um, so we don't know who else out there has possibly got doubles there's only one of me <laughs> well, uh, we probably couldn't handle two two bodies. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I don't, I'm not sure the world's. I'm not sure the world's ready for two yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else you got, Jay, on this uh, weird and wonderful, uh, weird and wonderful rabbit hole? You know, I must admit it's one of my favourite sort of entry points into the world of conspiracy because it's kind, of, you know, because it's tied up with movies and glamour and do you know what I mean and and as you say there are all these oblique references in the films can you think of any others that uh, the attack by vaccination is one I'm thinking of, of not a Bond film but there's a film called uh, Executive Action which uh, is about the Kennedy assassination uh, it's quite an interesting film it's was made in 1973 uh, stars Burt Lancaster yes. Rob, Robert Ryan again um and uh, well, there are, Ryan has a line in that which is uh, we need to reduce the world's population mm-hmm. which is obviously similar tack to attacking the populace by a vaccine do you know what I mean? Absolutely the, um, there's quite a few of these uh, I believe Patrick a long time ago mentioned to me the parallax view with 
um, which includes the notion of private corporate intelligence essentially setting up a patsy for the assassination of a major political figure. Right. Could uh, very well be uh, a uh, coded reference to the JFK situation as well, or possibly many other patsy shooter scenarios. So Parallax View is is very good. Um, There's another film. What's the one with um, um, Tim Robbins, uh, where he's the uh, professor who studies counterterrorism, and he he gradually... uh, gradually comes to believe that the government itself was involved in a major bombing scenario that seems to look like Oklahoma City. Um, oh, wow. And as he dis- discovers more and more about the scenario, he finds out that the neighborhood that he's moved into is actually populated by a whole bunch of uh, insider extremists, so, so, so to speak, and he ends up being the new patsy for a Major bombing. What is the name of that film? It's escaping me at the moment, but uh, let's see. It's a, a '90s film. Um, I can't say that I've seen it, to be honest. Don't, don't blank, but it, but it's uh, very much Arlington Road. That's it. Right. Arlington obviously has a clear, yeah, uh, importance in that title. But Arlington Road is another one of these uh, Patsy type scenarios, and of course, a Shooter with uh, Wahlberg. Um, where he's uh, very much a Oswald-type patsy, uh, and the uh, event is organized by the intelligence agencies where he's set up to be a, a patsy for a right. political assassination. So there's plenty of those, and I think uh, you want to talk about the psi biowarfare attack angle, population reduction. There, there's so many films in the 70s that, uh, that right. hit it. Yeah, there were, yeah. Omega Man, Logan's Run. Um, one of the most sort of semi-frustrating things about uh, the old Diamonds Are Forever scenario is that the stunning John Lautner house, mm-hmm. Elron House, which is the <laughs> uh, the set for uh, Willard White's winter home in Palm Springs in California, uh, has been on the market recently, and it's been on the market for quite some time. For about fourteen million dollars, Jay. So uh, I don't know if it's still on the market, um, but uh, it's absolutely stunning with that sort of fifty-foot circular room. Do you know what I mean? It is, uh, and it's exactly you know it is exactly like it is in the film. You know, right. so you could actually buy it and live out your own full James Bond diamonds are forever fantasy. Do you know what I mean? You know, well, when I. Could, uh, you can put it. You can either dress that. You can, you know, one of you can wear the Blofeld suit, and the other guy dresses as Bond, and get a couple of girls round. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's uh, when it, when my diamond drug empire takes off. That's uh, right. You're going to buy it. Yeah. A look into taking out. The, there's there's some great footage in diamonds as well of uh, of Vegas in the 1970s, um, and of course those were the days. Uh, the, the show Circus Circus. I've been to Circus Circus. I've stayed at Circus Circus. It's nothing like that anymore. It was in the 1980s that they basically cleared out, in order to save money, all the ambient entertainment, for want of a better expression. So in in uh, Diamonds, they've got uh, 
a sort of fairground in the casino and um, trapeze artists <laughs> overhead, overhead, you know, above the gaming tables. There are girls on swings and things. It's The whole thing's like... It's a bit tawdry, but the whole thing's like a sort of fantasy land. There isn't any of that any there anymore. I, I mean, it, they've got sort of circus-related decor... Yeah. But um, they chopped out all the lounge acts, you know. Like uh, you've got, you know, the, even that little clip we heard about Sammy talking to uh, talking to um, Willard White's right hand man about his contract. You don't get the big bands and the and the entertainment all sort of laid on that you used to in Vegas. So it's, it's quite an interesting historical record like that. Well, when I went with Patrick a few months ago, uh, we stopped in Vegas for a short bit. I was expecting, I'd never been, so I was expecting the 70s presentation, like in, right. God, you know, the Godfather has a bunch of those same uh, images yeah. of the iconic 70s, the Las Vegas, uh, yeah. and it was, it was more like uh, modern Disneyland, sort of the, the main strip was all uh, yes. these, uh, you know, amusement park rides and... Uh, uh, you know, not not the imagery that you think of with the Art Marlboro Man. You know, <clears throat> no, it's got much slicker. <clears throat> you know that that uh, bit, that Fremont Street with the um, the uh, sort of neon cowboy figure who looks a bit like Woody from Toy Story. <laughs> that's now um, undercover. That's the so-called downtown area. And uh, they've put a roof on that street. Sort of a mall. Yeah, they've just sort of turned it into a mall. It's been castrated, really, you know. And the Golden Nugget's still there, but there isn't a single... Ho- well, uh, along the... Uh, along Las Vegas Boulevard, which sort of runs from the strip to what's called downtown, there are still a few of the 50s and 60s motels, complete with, you know... Um, beautiful signage from the period you know the sort of low rise motels which are they're neither downtown nor are they on the strip they're sort of between the two do you know what I mean yeah. uh, that's the only place all the big hotels have been demolished and rebuilt every single one of them everything's been rebuilt <coughs> make it you know just make it bigger and you know smarter so it's got a lot slicker you know if you look at the if you actually look quite closely at the decor in the in the uh, casino in Vegas it's actually quite tawdry it's actually quite scruffy behind the scenes do you know what I mean? it is uh, I thought it was sort of laughable too that an old post office had been converted into the mafia museum (laughs) for the the, the state uh, I guess the the city government actually funds a mob oh yeah yeah yeah. it's a joke isn't it I know it's sort of proud of its History, you know. Yeah. But uh, we stopped in one of the old mafia bars that Sinatra used to hang at, hang out at. I, I, the name of that one escapes me as well at the moment. But uh, it's on the second floor of this of this place uh, on the stri- the old strip that you're talking about. And uh, so you go in there and you see the all the old pictures of uh, Sinatra and uh, you know all the hanging out with the the dons of the of the fifties. Yeah. So uh, it was a very schnaz joint. Uh, retained a lot of its fifties uh, and sixties decor and look. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, there is. There is still. There are still some vestiges of style. It's a strange place. And I, I, you know, I've spent you know, quite a few days there at different times. And um, could you live there? Do you think, Jay? You know, 
It's completely bonkers place, isn't it? It is yeah. completely insane. It's it's like like I said, an adult Disneyland. Uh, yeah. So. And the whole place is sort of designed to suck money out of your pockets. Exactly. But, yeah. but at the same time, there's actually also around it, of course, pockets of, of normality with people actually just simply going about their daily business and trying to make a living. Do you know what I mean? It's sort That's of like you've got all this absolute madness on the strip and, the, and uh, sort of an entirely synthetic culture. Um, yeah. And, of course, in order to maintain it, you have to have people earning $12 an hour hoovering carpets and uh, you know they all have to live somewhere and they have to shop somewhere so it's sort of um, but it's but become a huge holiday destination you can fly there direct from the UK now yeah and it's really cheap you know to appeal um, of course when yes. things are not as cheap but uh, I'd read uh, Chris Hedges uh, book Empire of Illusion before I went and his chapter on the American Disneyland, uh, the section on Vegas, I thought was uh, completely accurate. So it was very much the, the picture that he described in his in his uh, Pulitzer Prize winner. But uh, I think I could live there. I, I'm I'm a fan of the weird and the strange. So to me, everywhere seems weird and strange. Living in the <laughs> south, the south is its own little weird oddity. And yeah, reaction. absolutely. Where are you at the moment, Jay? Uh, outside Nashville at the moment. Uh, oh wow. So Tennessee. If you've ever been to East Tennessee, there's a very strange, bizarre area, uh, Gatlinburg, and Gatlinburg is its own sort of mini Vegas. Uh, oh wow! Uh, it's, it's it's really really. <coughs> there are a few mini Vegases popping up all over the country, aren't there? You know, uh, as the gambling laws are, are are relaxed, you know, so Vegas has to keep pumping itself up on more steroids to sort of continue to attract people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 when I was in Vegas, I was reminded of Gatlinburg because it, as you're driving up into the mountains in Gatlinburg, you literally see a, uh, a wedding chapel on every every corner, uh, as well as the, you know, Elvis impersonator. Mm-hmm. So... So yes, it, it's like a basically a, a poor man's Vegas is what uh, Gatlinburg is. Right. Yeah, I've been to Memphis, Tennessee, mostly in the middle of the night. That was quite an interesting experience. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I've heard Nashville's a great city. You know, I've heard it's, uh, it's still you know a great center of creativity and songwriting and music and everything, and you know, really quite a happening place. Yeah, everyone uh, seems to think uh, that. South, uh, you know, we all uh, ride horses and we uh, have uh, abnormal relations with our relatives. With relatives, yeah. <laughs> Which is not true. Nashville is a metropolitan area. I think the, uh, you know, a million or so in the, in the city, so it's just like any other city. But it does have a real estate boom at the moment. Um, quite an interesting uh, music culture. There's always uh, a band playing somewhere of, of any sort of palace. Well, that's nice to hear, yeah. So whatever your taste, you can always find yeah. music of that regard. Yeah, there is that, there's that belt in, uh, in, uh, in the States that runs sort of from Nashville via Memphis and all the way down to New Orleans, of course, right. which has a sort of quite a you know, strong musical tradition, for want of a better expression, obviously. Blues, country, Blues, rock. country rock, exactly, yeah. Yeah. All, all, all originated, I guess, from uh, from the south. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Anything else on diamonds before we wrap it up, Jay? Um, uh, I think probably in the near future I'll try to put together an article on this, which we've discussed. I think this would make for a fascinating article. Um, Absolutely. The 21st Peter. century, why? Yeah. Listeners can also check out my uh, article, Scorsese's The Aviator, Howard Hughes, Hollywood, and the CIA, which touches on some of what we mentioned today. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining me, Jay. You, Basil. It was a pleasure. No, no, as always. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. This is Basil Valentine sitting in for Seth Patrick Henningsen on the Sunday Wire, Sunday the 12th of July, 2015, saying, we very much hope you've enjoyed the show. I've certainly very much enjoyed it. Wide-ranging discussions. Great chat with Peter. Hope you enjoyed my first hour news digest. Remember, you heard it here first. Bush beats Clinton in 2016. You might as well get your money on Press Collect. Signing out. This is Basil. Goodbye. secret for strong joints and a powerful immune system. Shark Tech, the product with bite. Visit us at www.sharptech.org.